Uh, if you have your Bible, John chapter 16 is where we are. Uh, we are entering into the final day of Jesus' life um, with what we'll talk about today. today. And it's, uh, before we, we get there, I, I want to say a couple of things. First, 24 hours from what we learned from Jesus, this story that we engage with today, 24 hours from these events, Jesus will be dead. Um, and it, that, that's important for us because not just the fact that he, he will die on the cross, but that he is, he's fully aware of the fact that in, in less than 24 hours, he will be on a cross suffering a brutal death and, and dying. But he continues to be on mission and he continues to be seeking out ways to show his love and his mission to his disciples. Um, so this, I want to remark just for a second about this image that's on the screen here. Go back to that image, Coop. Um, just for a second. Uh, we, the Gospel of John, we've kind of subtitled the, the series, A Biography of Jesus. And so John's idea, why he wrote this gospel, is because he's encountered Jesus, and he wants to communicate to people who would come after him about these stories of the life of Jesus. So he is, he's telling stories about Jesus so that we might have a picture of who he is and what he did. And at the end of John's gospel, he gives his reason for writing the gospel, and he says, so that you might believe, I've written these things, so you might believe that Jesus is the Christ. And Christ isn't, again, I've said this lots of times, not just in the series, but particularly in the series, Christ is not a last name for Jesus. It is a title for who he is, the Messiah, the long-anointed one to come and redeem all of God's people to himself. So when we say Jesus Christ, Jesus is the Christ, that's what John is intended to communicate. So every story that he tells is to illuminate who he is, and who he is is the Christ. And that's important for us anytime we study a book of the Bible, and in particular this one, to understand what Jesus is doing and, and, and why the author is saying what he's saying. So, John chapter 16, we have 22 verses to get to today, so uh, let's get busy. Uh, Jesus, again, this is part of what's called the upper room discourse. So this is sort of the last supper has happened. These are kind of the, the last final teaching moments that Jesus has with his disciples. There's going to be opportunities for him to engage people one-on-one, but this is him talking to them in a, in a big sort of way. Jesus says, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering a service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when the hour comes, you may remember that I have told them to you. Again, remember here, Jesus is saying these things knowing full well that in a very short time, he's going to be in front of an unjust judge, and he's going to be beaten unjustly, and he's going to die. And he's saying these things to these people to know what's coming for you is coming for me. And what's coming for me right now is going to be worse than, than what will come for you. But here's the thing that I, I want to remark on here in this setting, is that there's a lot of confusion that's going on among the disciples. It's a very dark time. Jesus, we, we've spread this out over 
three or four weeks, but just moments before Jesus utters these words, he said, one of you is going to betray me. And he said to Peter, his main guy, you're going to deny me three times. This, for us, that sermon happened like three, four weeks ago. For these guys, that's, that message happened like five minutes ago. So it's still fresh in their mind. So they're, they're really distraught and it's a dark time. And Jesus is going to say, like, here's something. Dave and I were having this conversation. We, we meet on Fridays to kind of discuss vision and long-term stuff and whatever. And we met this Friday and Dave asked, hey, how's the sermon going? And I said, it's really hard because here's another one of these times where Jesus is talking and I don't have any idea, like he's confusing to me. What's he, what's he talking about? And so I'm reading this, you know, thousands of years later, and these guys are in the moment with Jesus. And so they're completely confused as to what he's talking about and what's going on. And so there's darkness and confusion and wondering about what's happened. What is Jesus talking about that there's difficulty and hardship that's going to come? And I want to bring that full circle into where we are. This is a very confusing time to live in the world. More particularly, it's a very confusing time to live in the United States, and more particularly, a very confusing time to live in North County, right? Like, what in the world is happening? How do we respond? What's God's call of my life? Do I fight for justice? Do I pray for the gospel? Do I, and what do I do? Where's, what is Jesus calling me to do here and now in this particular place? I, I, I don't know. But, but what, what I want to see here is the love of, of Jesus penetrating through confusion and him speaking boldly to these people to show them that beyond the circumstances that you find yourself in the middle of. Let me say that again. Beyond the circumstances that you find yourself in the middle of is Jesus. And that's, that's like vague and ambiguous and probably confusing. And, and it, like, what does that mean for tomorrow morning when the alarm goes off? What does that mean for another newscast telling me about something awful that's going on? I don't know. But beyond the circumstances is Jesus. And here he is facing a more difficult circumstance than you and I could ever make, like we could ever think of. He's going to endure. And in the middle of that, he's weaving and orchestrating his love into other people. Does that, like, a, a need for that to baffle you like that baffles me. When we're consumed with what something bad that's about to happen to us, we're consumed with it. Right? Am I wrong? I'm, you guys are like blank stares at me here. Like, seriously, when we're in the, when, when I know something, when I'm about to go have a meeting with someone, I'm going to have to have a hard question too. They're, like, it's just hard is going to happen. Do you get that, that feeling in your throat and your gut and what you want to do is just run away? Here's Jesus, 24 hours from now will be dead, and he's investing in, in people other than himself. This is our mission. This, what kind of love has to be present in a man that would do that? It's astounding to me. 
Go back to our, our passage. Verse 4, I have said these things to you that when the hour comes, you may remember that I have told them to you. In other words, people are going to want to kill you because of because your association with me and they don't understand. I do not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going to him who sent me and none of you ask me, where are you going? So there's confusion anyway, and he just said people are going to want to kill you and people will kill you and they'll think that they're doing a favor to God by killing you. And then he says, I'm, I've been your help. I've been with you for three years, and I'm getting ready to, to leave. And so, like, darkness is over these guys. Fear is over these guys. Verse 6. But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. There's a darkness and a sadness that's here because Jesus has said he's going to die and leave. Verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. I want to inject this into this, our thought process here. We know, because we've studied the Holy Spirit, we know the Holy Spirit, we know that's who Jesus is talking about. The Holy Spirit is not going to come unless Jesus goes away. That's what Jesus is saying here. But these disciples don't have the New Testament to understand who the Holy Spirit is and what his job is and what his role is. And they haven't, Pentecost hasn't happened yet. The teaching in the book of Acts hasn't happened yet. They've got no idea what Jesus is even talking about. It's a completely foreign thing to them. So there's sadness and deep sorrow. And now Jesus is talking about this helper and that he's going to go away. And it's better if he goes away. Wait a second. You're telling us that you're the Christ and now you're telling us it's better if you go away? What confusion would have to be in these people, right? You, you, you're tracking with that? But here's Jesus saying, I'm going to go away, and it's better for you. And he begins to lay on them what the point of the Holy Spirit is. Verse 8, talking about the Holy Spirit. When he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Okay, the, Spirit, the Holy Spirit has a lot of, lot of responsibilities and a lot of roles in our lives. But the, the thing that Jesus is teaching these guys is his specific role here is three things. Do you see him? Convicting the world concerning sin, convicting the world concerning righteousness, and convicting the world concerning judgment. And the next three verses deal with each one of those things in particular. But I want to spend time thinking about this word convict. For us, convict in a religious setting, means I have convict, I've been convicted of sin. Like God showed me something that I've done wrong, and I want to confess it. There's truth in that. Also, we think of the word convict, like I've committed a crime, and we've proved that you did, in fact, commit that crime. You've been convicted of that crime. This word, better said, means really to reveal, to show. So let's go back and look at this verse 8. And when he comes, he will reveal or show the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. 
So Jesus, the Holy Spirit's role is to reveal sin to you, to reveal righteousness to you, and to reveal judgment to you. And here, let's look at each one of these verses and, and, and break these down. Concerning sin, he's going to reveal sin in this way because they did not believe in me. So the role of the Holy Spirit is to, to show you sin in order that you might believe in who Jesus is. And this believe, again, this word has shown up hundreds of times in the Gospel of John, almost every verse, almost every, definitely every chapter and nearly every verse in the book of John is this word believe or this concept believe. And it's the Greek word bestueo. And it's the law of soul that changes the way a man responds. So to believe in something the way Jesus is calling us to believe, the way the Holy Spirit will call us to when he convicts us of our sin is to change the way that we think and operate and react to external circumstances. This law of soul, it, it demands of us how to respond. We have, by virtue of living in St. Louis, we have a law of soul that commanded us to stay up till about 1230 last night. You know what I'm talking about? To watch the baseball game. Just by virtue of, of who we are. We're St. Louisans, we wear red, and we watch the Cardinals play in October. No matter the cost. That's a law of soul for the St. Louisan. And it's, it's silly and like some of you went to bed and be, whatever. But that's, the idea is, is, is there. Is that just by virtue of, of who you are, you do things. This is what conviction of the Holy Spirit comes, points out sin in our lives so that we might be changed in how we act and respond and just naturally do things. The role of the Spirit is to convict, to reveal sin. But it's also, verse 10, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. And this is like... It's not difficult, for, it's, it's not a hard thing for me to do as a preacher to, show, to teach you about what it means to convict of sin. That's something we, it's, it's pretty easy for us. But think about what, what Jesus is speaking here. The role of the Holy Spirit is to convict you of righteousness. I want to let that sit with us a second. To reveal righteousness because, and, and look, what he, look what he says in verse 10 there. Concerning the Holy Spirit will, will reveal righteousness to you because I'm going to the Father and you will see me no longer. Do you know, practically speaking, where the spirit and body of Jesus is this moment? And what he's doing in this moment? He's next to God in the throne room pleading your case. And the role of the Holy Spirit is to reveal that to you. That's, that's life-changing. It's moment-changing. It's circumstance-changing. Remember, these guys are sad and confused and wondering what's happening. We are sad and confused and wondering what's happening. Michael Brown, ISIS, wars, hardship, pain, poverty, homelessness, look around you and see sorrow and confusing, inducing things. 
But understand, Jesus. This is the moment where you like, I get some sort of reaction. Jesus. Then, verse 11, more stuff, get ready. He's also, the role of the Holy Spirit is to convict you, reveal to you judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. What Jesus is just saying here is that it's going to look like in the next 24 hours that Satan is winning. But the, the Holy Spirit will come to you to reveal to you that he doesn't. Put whatever it is that you, whatever it is that you struggle with, whatever it is that makes you want to curl under the covers and... And, and put it up against that, the cross. And here's Jesus speaking to guys who will be killed for their relationship with Jesus. And what he's saying to them, it will appear like the ruler of this world is winning, but he's not. Like, I remember when I was in high school, there's a, a friend of mine that had developed a relationship with a guy who was a worshiper of Satan. And we talked a lot about how to, you know, we were to, how to witness to this guy, how to have conversation with this guy, what to say to him, how to engage him. And ultimately what we came up with is this. The guy's name is, is Adam. Adam was talking to the Satanist. And Adam's conclusion was, you know, your guy loses, Right? And I mean, there, there's more to it, but not really. And, and that's the role of the Holy Spirit is to convince you in the middle of crazy circumstances where it looks like there's no hope in this world, the proclamation of Jesus to his disciples in the upper room and by extension, the proclamation of Jesus to you here today is that I win. Thank you, Kelso. By the way, you all have permission to do that, just in case you're wondering. Verse 12, I still have many things to say to you. He's talking about the Spirit, and Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. First of all, that makes me, gets me really excited to think that there's more to the Holy Spirit then my soul and mind and spirit can bear. Like, I don't have to know it and understand it to, to comprehend the fact that he's weaving his help into my spirit and my being every moment in ways that my brain can't handle. That verse brings hope to me. Verse 13, when the spirit of truth comes... He will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, and he will take what is mine and declare it to you. He's going to speak Jesus to you. Verse 15, and all that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said, I will take what is mine and declare it to you. Verse 16, more really cool stuff. A little while, you will see me no longer. 
and again a little while, you will see me. Scholars wrestle with what Jesus is talking about here. Is he talking about he's going to be dead and then he's going to go in a tomb and then he's going to resurrect and they're going to see him again post-resurrection? Or is Jesus saying, I'm going to die, resurrect, ascend to heaven, and that's the I don't see you anymore. And then they're either going to get to heaven or Jesus is going to come back and they're going to see him again. Scholars argue on that. Who cares, really? The point is this. Some of his disciples said to one another, what is he talking about? That's Rick's ESV version. But what is this that he says to us? A little while you won't see me, but now you will not see me. And again, in a little while you will see me. And because I am going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean a little while? What's interesting is that scholars are confused about what he's talking about. Is he talking about the three days in the grave? Is he talking about being in heaven and and before he comes back? And what is he talking about? We wrestle with that just like the disciples are right now in the story. And what is Jesus' response to them? Let's read and find out. Verse 19, Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he just came out and said to him, Is this what you're asking yourselves? What is meant by saying a little while you will not see me, and again in a little while you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. I've spent a lot of time in the recent days sorrowful over what's happening in our city. And then I think about stuff that's going on outside of our city. And I think about all of the the hardship and difficulty that's there. And and sorrow enters my heart. And I see the response of of people. And I see my response. And and I I don't like it. And there's just brokenness everywhere. And I'm confused. And I pray, God, show me what you're doing here. Show me what you're doing in my family. Show me what you're doing in my heart. Show me what you're doing in my church, in my city, in my country, in, in all. What are you, what's happening? God, would you show me? But I think what Jesus wants to say to that, what the Spirit wants to speak into that, is that Sorrow might be here, but don't sweat it. I got this. This is Jesus speaking to you. And and I I need you to to, to see that. We need to see the beauty of of what Jesus just spoke to his disciples. And, And we need to be not so consumed with 2014 and see this guy who will be dead soon talking to people who will die by the sword soon because of who he is. Verse 20, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. I don't understand. You will be sorrowful. Is there confusion about what will be true of you? Living as a Christian in this world will bring you sorrow. But the promise of Jesus 
goes beyond your sorrow because it will turn to joy. Um, some of you might know, um, can I have Luke for just a second? Hey, buddy. This is my friend Luke Uffman. Hey, buddy. He's a big one. I'm going to hold him for a couple minutes and pray for me because he's big. Um, Mickey is Luke's mom, and 29 hours of labor she had with him. 29 hours. Um, during those 29 hours, there was a 30-minute uh, contraction. 30-minute contraction. Think 30-minute contraction. For those of you ladies who have had children before, understand the difficulty of what? A typical contraction. Three minutes? Am I right here, ladies? Help me out. I'm asking, literally, not rhetorically. <laughs> right? A typical contraction, two, three, four minutes? Something like that? Something like that? All right. Thank you. Thank you, Dave. Uh, and then you get a break for sometimes two, three, four, five minutes. You get a break. So it's on a couple, off a couple, on a couple, off a couple. For Mickey, 29 hours of labor. And most of her contractions were, I talked to you guys yesterday, six to seven minutes, followed by like about a minute of being off. So do the math of that for 29 hours. This little dude is like, nature is pushing on her and causing a huge ordeal of pain. 29 hours. You know how her labor ended? They said, forget it. We're going to cut you open and take him out. C-section. And the thing that, like, look at this little guy. And the, he's like the smiliest guy ever. Hey, Luke. Hey, buddy. Hi. Hi. Oh, he's kind of tired. He wants to go to sleep, I think. But he, like, anytime you get a chance, come up to Luke. And most, this is the smilingest kid you've ever seen. And we get a chance from time to time to hang out with Luke. They'll drop him off or, or, or Jen has gone over to their, their place and, and hung out with Luke for the, the afternoon. And all he does is smile. There he goes. See it? There it is right there. Perfect. On command. All he does is smile. And if, if I were to go to Eric and Mickey and say to them, tell me about Luke. They would probably say, he's so happy. He just, look at him, he's just kicking. He's just having a good time. This, this is the picture of the gospel. If I were to go to them and say to them, tell me about Luke. How, do you think they would say, oh man, the labor was awful. You might eventually get to that. But if, if a stranger comes and said, tell me about Luke. Or if you come and engage Luke. And you're going to get a smile. You're going to get feet kicking. You're going to get a happy kid. We're not going to hear about 30-minute contractions and, and C-sections and 10 minutes in those 29 hours of peace. We're going to think about the joy that's here. Look at, seriously, look at the gospel. When you're, when you're confused or, or hurt or worrying or filled with stress or consumed with today or your circumstances think of a, a beautiful smiling baby your sorrow will be turned to joy and 
the, the beautiful thing, I rem- remember distinctly Eric sending out texts to a, a bunch of the guys saying, pray for Mickey, this is really hard. This is really hard. I remember the, the couple of days after being in, in, the, in the hospital room, and she was, she was beautiful and a trooper, but she was beat up. And, and in those moments, it was hard to, to sense and feel this kind of joy. But, but please understand, the gospel is real. And this is what Jesus is talking about. Let me give him back to you so you can look at the gospel. Luke Uffman. Let's read this passage. Verse 21. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Let me read that again and say Jesus is better than circumstances. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby... She no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. So also, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. Let's pray and make proclamations of that joy to our Savior. God, you are so beautiful. You are overwhelmingly beautiful. God, I'm reminded so many times where you say in your word that sorrow may be here, but joy is coming. And God, you, you weave faith into us. You weave belief into us that we trust and surrender to who you are. That even though we may be confused about our purpose or our mission, or we may be consumed by our circumstance, you are above it. And joy is coming. Enjoy beyond what we could ever ask or imagine. We know that no eye is seen, no ear is heard, nor mind is conceived what you have prepared for those who love you. And God, we trust in that. We trust in that more than we trust in the difficult and hard circumstances of our worlds and of our lives, Father. Because you are weaving your faith and your hope and your trust and your love and your joy into us and we we ask for more of it God but your son in the middle of this trying awful circumstance is teaching is loving is investing God and I pray for those in this room who are in the middle of hardship God I pray for perspective 
I pray for an eternal perspective. That 2014 will one day be a memory. A memory that's forgotten because of the joy that is in front of us when we see Jesus face to face. God, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. We love you and we trust you. In Christ's name, amen.